Hello and welcome to this special edition of the Anfield Talk TAT pod. Uh, we are going to be pre- previewing the United game, but we also have Christian from Carpen Fracas. How are you, Chris? I'm all good, thanks, Nas. How about you? I'm good, I'm good. It's good to have you on. Thank you for coming on. Uh, it's, it's really good to have you on. We also got Ryan. How are you, Ryan? Yeah, I'm good. Everything good for me. Uh, working from home, just getting used to that again. <laughs> um, but yeah, all good. Well, good, good to have you back on. Uh, Chris, how are you doing, mate? You all right? Yeah, I'm all right. A little bit nervous, I have to say. Probably yeah. more nervous than I've been in a while, but you know, I'm okay. Confident. Looking forward to the chats. There's a there's definitely a nervous energy around now. Uh, Robson, I, I know, I know, I know. Uh, getting it's a uh, it's a it's a big one, you know. This is a big podcast, I think. You know, United kind of previewing two United games all of a sudden that have just come out of nowhere. Um, and the situation isn't exactly how we'd like it to be, so it should be a good one, you know. Good to talk over. Yeah, it feels like it's um like it's 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 kind of slowly just come around and like. This whole thing's kind of just been a bit crazy. I mean, we're going to get into it. Obviously, we're going to be previewing the United game. Um, they've gone top of the table by beating Burnley 1-0. Um, they're now three points clear um, after our recent form of no wins in three. Um, it feels like we had the the kind of infinity gauntlet and we've just given it away to Thanos. Um, I'm just going to come to you, Ryan. How you, how you feeling in general? Because um, it's a, it's a bit shit at the moment. Yeah, normally against United, it's always a big game for us, but I'm normally confident no matter what the circumstances are. Like, I always feel like us being Liverpool, we've got a good chance, but it's just the centre-back thing's really playing on my mind and it's got me a lot more nervous than I've been um, in, well, the most recent games at least. And, yeah, it's a bit of a funny one because obviously, like, we get the apparent in the nose on Twitter that have the inside information or lack of it um <laughs> some people are saying uh matip trained by himself today manchester evening news reported that he wasn't in training at all so yeah there's still a lot that can change before the game but i still think we've got a good chance of getting um getting the three points yeah well sounds pretty positive see there might be some like mind game going around there especially with the different reports of matip i think that's going to be a massive massive part of, 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 of how things um, have happened. Robson, I, I know that like seeing your tweets uh, over the last few days, I know how pissed you are that you <laughs> have, have kind of allowed this to happen. Um, just just talk me through it. Uh, you know what the worst thing is about it, right? It's that I've, I never knew that there were so many Man United fans on Twitter. Um, they've just like... Literally, I don't think you've ever really seen anything from them. And then all of a sudden, there seems to just my whole timeline's filled with them. And I'm, I'm sick of it already. And it's only been two. Like, someone was giving a massive flick of a night, like about being top of the league. It's like, you've been top of the league for about an hour. Like, <laughs> we just, like, I feel like it's going. If we, if I'm staying positive about it, and I, and I do honestly think that we're going through a bad patch and they're going through a really good patch. So it seems a lot worse than it is at the moment. And I know we can end up finishing, like, be fifth by the end of this weekend. But like, I don't want to ever. I don't want to think about that, like, because there's no point thinking about it if it hasn't happened yet. Um, and I just kind of hope that it's all gonna come round to bite them on the arse again, because it happened the last time when they beat PSG in the um in the Champions League, and everyone thought, and you know, they had this kind of similar patch at the start when Oli came in. I think they went mm. they went like, quite a few games unbeaten, and everyone thought he was fantastic. You know, had the old the real Ferdinand. Um, 
clip that obviously gets brought up a lot. Um, and I just, I, I can kind of see history repeating itself because we're great and we know we are. We've had a few bad games and that can can ruin a season. But mm. say we win on um, on Sunday, we're back, we're, we're back ahead of them. Um, and then this mad stat that I seen last night, I think, is just isn't is crazy. Is that they haven't beaten any of the so-called top six yet this season, mm. and um, everyone they've played has been at home. So they've got to go to the Etihad, they've got to go to um, Stamford Bridge, they've got to go to the Emirates, they've got like all these places. They've still got they've got to go to um, the Tottenham Hotspur mm. Stadium. Um, so yeah, the that they're top and that's great for them, and they can milk it all they want now. But that we're not even halfway through the season yet. It feels like we are because we're we're after Christmas. Yeah. But um, you you just got to think like we we of course it's annoying and like it it has been just to see them come out the pipe out of their fucking holes all of a sudden. Um, <laughs> but I think we I think we just need to keep our head and and you know what I I do think you can tell that there's a bit of a different vibe around the club at the moment from like looking on Twitter and yeah. stuff. Um, and I'm just yeah. hoping that it's going to be a positive one after Sunday. It's, uh, it's good to see that you're you're pissed off as as as, as I thought you'd be, um, Chris. I'm gonna I'm gonna come to you now. Um, just a simple question, I guess. Uh, do you think Ali's breaking our Anfield record on Sunday? Uh, realistically, no. But I think he stands as good a chance, and United at the weekend stand as good a, as good a chance as anyone has done so far. Sort of coming in coming into this. Sort of this this whole long stretch. I think this is as good a chance as any for it to be broken. Um, one thing I will say, sort of just carrying on from Robson's point, is I am absolutely disgusted with the amount of back on our perch tweets I've seen from yeah. United fans who have been top of the league for yeah about well probably at this point what is it a couple Two of days. days couple of days yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think. The big six record is a really big thing to look at. And obviously, they've been absolutely shocking in that. That said, you can't underestimate the bounce that going top might have given them. Mm. And yeah, the the centre-back situation is very questionable. Although I think we might get onto sort of our our preferred lineups later on. I think sort of putting uh, Nat Phillips up against uh, Cavani could be good as a physical battle. If we go that way, but yeah, I'm I'm still confident. I'd say, but I'm the least confident I've been this far. Mm. So, yeah, there's yeah. A, there's definitely a good chance that they can break that record. Unfortunately, we're gonna, yeah, we're gonna get into the the teams and and, and looking at the little kind of nitty gritty a bit later. Um, Chris, as our guest, I guess um, it, it, you can see how uh, how optimistic everybody is on, on the show. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, um, the recent events obviously it feels like it's it feels like there's a like this our rivalry with United's kind of rekindled and they've kind of like just like the way that Robson's kind of saying is they kind of popped out of nowhere like kind of like COVID. <laughs> they are COVID, aren't they? <laughs> they are a right <laughs> disease. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's. It's it is a weird one, isn't it? Because they seem to just like just come out of nowhere and now they're back on top when you know we were going on that massive run last season then you know Champions League and and, and whatnot. They were, they were nowhere to be found. The, the only the only time they really came out last season was to try and do the whole null and void thing, which I thought was uh mm-hmm. which was which was quite hilarious considering their form really picked up after that. Um but I mean th- that rivalry's always been there. Um I mean I th- I think one of the reasons though why we're 
and you know for our age group as well um why we're kind of like less optimistic going into this weekend is you're kind of getting that ptsd kicking back in of you know those uh those united teams that always used to kind of just get the good good rub of the green and stuff um i mean i said it on the i said, I said it on our pod the other day that um I was thinking back to some of the some of the jammy wins that they got, those like Rio Ferdinand headers, and it would always be kind of like Diego Forlan or fucking John O'Shea popping up and grabbing a goal. So mm. it'd be nice if it was kind of like one for for us this time around, you know, for Nat Phillips bullet header in the ninety second minute. That'd be funny, wouldn't it? Um but yeah, that, that rivalry's always been there for me. Um just because I don't particularly like I, I don't particularly like Man United at all. I hate Man United. I always have, always will. And that's one of the things that will never really change. Um and you know, seeing them drop into the Europa League is, is very funny to me, and I'm pretty sure it's the same way for them going top top of the league. So, it's it's going to be a really good it's going to be a really good affair this weekend, and you know, hopefully, we just come out on top. Yeah, I tend to agree, although I probably say that it has been a bit dormant recently, and I think the main reason for that is uh, we touched on this in our pod last week, but it's almost like. It's been at least a decade since we were both in comparable positions. Like it's since sort of the 2009 season, it's either been them competing or us competing. And so obviously the hatred is always going to be there. That's fine. But this is the first time in God knows how long that actually there's the hatred. And then there's also the fact that we can really damage each other's seasons and really steal stuff off each other beyond just taking points in our deliberate head-to-head games you know yep. the competition isn't just sort of the the cultural like club versus club it's actually there's there's stuff on the line now there's like a you know this is this is the premier league we're actually both fighting for for the first time in 10 12 years so i think there is there's an extra dimension I mean, maybe it isn't as uh, as an important a dimension as people are making out but it, there's definitely a, a change i think it's um it's it's weird when you because you mentioned like the sort of age thing and I'm I'm 22 so this is like uh, the first time in my kind of adult life that this game's actually meant an awful lot to both teams in terms of of competition not just in terms of rivalry because um, like that my my main memory from this game when there was a like a real um, competitive uh, rivalry in in the league was four one win. Um, and I remember that quite clearly because it was just kind of one of them. It was just funny jumping around the living room, and uh, my stepsister was a Man U fan at the time, so it was it was just fun then. But that's kind of like the only memory I really have of the like because last year the game was so important for us, uh, the Anfield game, um, and winning that game we kind of knew because City dropped points early in the day. We knew that that was kept basically it. We there was no way we were going to mess it up. Um, and they, but I mean, they didn't really pose a threat that day. I mean, we could have had five goals. I'm sure we had a couple rude out and stuff like that. And I've never really like been scared of them for a while until now. And I don't even know why I'm scared of them. I think it's the sort of Bruno factor and just the run they're on. But they're still nothing like, like I've, I've, I think I've watched them more this season than I have in a long time, especially. And they're still like, they're not playing great football or anything. They're just getting those wins that we were getting last year those jammy like sort of last minute winners and just creating something out of like out of nowhere all of a sudden and then they find themselves in winning positions um like Pogba's goal the other night kind of reminded me of um a couple of seasons ago when Wijnaldum popped up with a goal in it from the corner in a similar situation um and it was just kind of like it's 
that that's the thing that's worrying me the most about them is that they're starting to pick up them results that last year everyone was saying our oh, champions do that champions get those results mm. and they're picking up them kind of results at the moment but again we're so early on in the season um and it's so competitive at the top that they're not i guess they are meaning more when you win them but everyone's dropping points so it's not like they're winning them and they're gaining you a lead they're winning them and they're keeping you there um mm. so like they could lose two games on the bounce and then uh, that that could be it they could be out of the title race for the entire season like it is for anyone it's it's so it's such a strange season like that yeah we're gonna talk a little bit about united a bit later um just talk about their team and 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 some of their players and stuff like that but i'm gonna i'm gonna start off with liverpool i'm gonna come to you chris um to start this off um we recently obviously just beat Aston Villa 4-1 in the FA Cup. Obviously, there's a lot of, you know, mitigating circumstances around that with the youth team playing for Aston Villa. Um, we still struggled for some reason as well in the first half um, with uh, Barry scoring um, and, and, you know, our centre-back issues kind of getting exposed once again. Um, I was just going to say, like, what do you think Klopp would have learned from that game in, pre- in preparation for the United game? Is there anything that he can take from it? Um, can, is there anything that he can, you know, you know, use in the next game against United? Well, um, there was certainly stuff that I learned in that game, and Klopp is a far more intelligent footballing mind than any of us. So, hopefully, he will have seen the same thing. First things first that I noticed is that Reese Williams is slow, which mm. is not a problem when you're in control of a game, and you know low block defences in front of you, then having him able to pass is quite good. But, you know, he got ripped apart by Aston Villa under 23s. He is not the right man to be, you know, holding off Marcus Rashford. So that's one that that's one thing straight off the bat that I that I spotted. Second was uh Shakiri should play in midfield for me. And Thiago absolutely has to play. Mm. Um, and because, granted, it was a very young Villa team. Yeah, true. But as you said, we were still we were still struggling. The tempo wasn't there. We didn't have the pace or the directness that we needed. And, you know, the second those two were in midfield, we had it in spades. And, you know, Shakiri came on and got two assists within a couple of minutes because he just sort of made... He's almost completed the picture in the sort of limited squad availability that we have. So I think I would definitely play those two because looking at the sort of even the links between them, not just the links with other players sort of thing, it was a really strong combination and a really creative combination. And they've also and neither of them are lazy by any stretch. So I think they will put the work in as well. So if I were Klopp, I would have noted those two things specifically. I don't know if anyone else spotted anything else, but that those two for me were the most important ones. What about the rest of you? Do you guys like agree in terms of would you play Shakiri in the next game? I know everyone's kind of definitely wants to play Thiago, but Shakiri is kind of like the wild card in the whole thing. Would you be playing him against someone like United, or is it too? Yeah, Ryan Unico. Um, yeah. So thinking about it, like initially, I thought yeah, play Shakiri because obviously, like Chris was saying, all the qualities that he has, but it come. It just makes you think of the last time he started in a big must-win game for us was, I think, the second leg against Barcelona. Um, he got his assist, but something that I noticed when 
we went into first lockdown. So I think it was BT put the game back on again um, to keep people like um, interested. Um, he gave the ball away a lot in the first half of that game. And Klopp loves to say players need rhythm before they get back into the um, the eleven and start playing at the quality that he knows they have. And I guess you could argue he's getting into his rhythm. He's had minutes against Villa and Newcastle, but it's just it's a dangerous game and a dangerous opposition to be to give the ball away um, more than we do. With like we said before, Bruno Fernandez, him in transition is probably the best with De Bruyne at those counter attacks and just that one ball killer pass. So. Yeah, um, maybe if it was a four-two-three-one, I could I could see that happening. Um, maybe if it's Henderson in defence, then it's an easy choice between who's going to pair Thiago in midfield. It would be one Alden, but yeah, um, I think I'm fifty-fifty on him starting, but definitely at some point will will feature. Um, I, I, the midfield is such an interesting one. I think for like all season, not just in this game, because people. We never really have enough um, players fit to kind of get a w- one midfield settled in the team and to be comfortable with, with one midfield. It's always chopping and changing. And then, like, even when someone seems to get settled, then the next game they're, they're playing poor. And it's mm-hmm. it's so hard to just kind of predict and give your opinion because I think everyone has different opinions on all the players. Some people love Ox, some people don't like him, some people love Genie, some people don't. Um, like including people on this podcast and everything, like and part of like uh, the Anfield talk and stuff. Like we argue all the time, and it always seems to be about the midfield. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I was I was watching highlights from the City Liverpool game. It was like a couple of years ago to the day earlier on uh, when we beat them four three and we went four one up. Yeah. And an ox in that game was absolutely incredible. Like yeah, just phenomenal. And it's like if we can play him back into that. He just like kept picking up the ball from like the edge of our box and bombing forward and pretty much to the edge of their box and then playing a killer pass. And it's like we just we just need that, that back from him again. We need him to be more adventurous. And I feel like that's like what we're losing a lot of this season is mm. one the players aren't being aren't trying as much, um, like aren't taking as many risks, but also they're struggling to do it when there's teams sitting far back in like a low block. Like there's no point Ox picking the ball up and running because he's just gonna then hit eight men, um, and I think that's why a lot of our midfielders are struggling this season because some of them are, are so good at that. Um, yeah. Then we've got people like Cater who are good against kind of both and can play that killer pass, but then he's not reliable. Um, so I think my midfield would probably be like obviously Thiago has to play. Um, I think Genie steps up in big games a lot of the time. Um, and I'd have I'd definitely play play Genie as well, and it's just such a shame we can't have Fabinho um, in the six. I think I think that's the biggest shame out of this whole season is we're mm. missing him so much. I think um, I think uh, with Ox, the only issue is that like I know he was great in like that Man City game that you mentioned, and and even in his earlier stage at Liverpool, but at the moment it's kind of like it's the opposite. Like, really, not the same player. Simply yeah, like, he's just not, and it's it's against so... Southampton, he was really really bad. Um, Chris, are you, are you having anything in terms of Ox or, or looking at something that maybe we haven't kind of mentioned already? It's a weird one because he, he definitely took a look at 4 4 2 3 one in that second half against Villa 
um, mm. which kind of did turn to a bit of a training match in the end, didn't it, really? Um, but I think that's going to be more of an option to look at when you play Burnley to kind of unlock, unlock their low block. But I think for this game, it's going to be interesting because it's going to be, you know what the midfield is more likely going to be. It's going to be a Ginny, Henderson and Thiago midfield. I think the interesting one is where do you play all three of those players? So do you play Thiago on the left-hand side of the two and then one other is the six? It's kind of counteract that physical threat because I think that would be the That's most interesting shout there. Yeah, I mean, you've got to counteract a little bit of the physicality that Manchester United have got in midfield as well and stop them on the break. But in terms of the wider point, you kind of see where that knock-on effect really has with mm. the centre-backs, uh, with the centre-back issue because, you know, there's been so many games where we've been crying out for Fabinho in midfield. And I mean, the, the weird shout here is that it's such a shame that Navi Kaito just can't stay fit because you look at it and how, how many United are going to play in this game. You, you know, we don't know what they're going to do. They're going to come try and sit back and get one on the break because getting a draw for them is absolutely perfect. That's that's a win because they can stay, stay top of the table and the fans can scream from the rafters. Um, and we've definitely missed a, a player who can kind of just take the ball 10, 15 yards, play a bit of a proactive pass. I mean, Thiago was a little bit nullified from that sense because Hassan Hootel had them like, doing a bloody job on him against against uh, in the Southampton game. All his passing lanes got cut off. Um, he got booked early on. He was just a little bit frazzled with the pace of the game. So uh, it's it's just so upsetting that Kaiser just can't stay fit because you, you know the qualities are there and the benefits he'll bring to the midfield. Yeah, I agree. Um, it's annoying, isn't it? Because you do look at the Southampton game and you see it was it was that midfield that you just said. Um, oh no, sorry, it was um, Hendo was a centre back. Oh no, it was Ox. Sorry, yeah, God's yeah. sake. My brain's just gone today. Um, but it was Normally, it was yeah. Tiago. It was Tiago in the six, and then the two in front of him, whoever it is, and it didn't work. And most of that was because the two that was sat in front of him weren't creating, weren't drawing enough attention away. And I think the if you do that, I mean, first of all, Ginny does perform in big games, but he was like basically a living statue in the Southampton game when he was in the eight. So I think he he brings more to the team as a six in terms of a... He's probably the closest we've got to Fabinho without having him at the moment, if you were to put him in that six, yeah. And therefore you get Thiago further forward who's free to move with the ball as well as just try and spray it. And then you'll also have Henderson on the other side who's just a bit more canny and a bit more match fit and aware than Ox, and so I I I would agree. You have to put Ginny in the six because swap putting either of the other two in the eight instead of him kind of hampers what we'll be able to create. I think Ginny's like the biggest enigma of, of a player that I think I've ever come across because it, even in his days at Newcastle, like everyone absolutely loved him at home and absolutely despised watching him play football away from home. Um, and with us, it's not even that predictable. Like they used to say, like a lot of my friends who are Newcastle fans used to say, like play him every single game at home. Don't play him away from home. With us, we don't even have that like luxury. Like well, like play him sometimes and he'd be absolutely incredible. Play him other times and he'll just do nothing. Um, and I think with the Southampton game, it's more them where it's like he, he just. I, I think he just didn't know what to do. Like they were cutting off Thiago's passing lanes, and I think a lot of the time, like like that's where the ball could have went to and stuff like that and he was just kind of because they were cutting that off he was left even more isolated and because he's not as as clever as a player as of Thiago like he can't create that space as well yeah. um and 
I don't know. It's like it's one of them where I think play him because I, I think of when I think of him, I think of the Barcelona game and how well he played when he came off the bench. Um, mm. But then, then I think, oh crap! What if we do play him and he has a horrendous game? And it's it it's he's just so hard to like the midfield. Like it's like a puzzle. Like I, we just can't crack at the moment. And, the only thing and, is, has has Ronaldo ever had a? I'm not sure if you guys can remember. Has he ever had a bad game in a big game at Anfield? I, I don't I, think so. I literally can't remember one. Um, that's I've that's why I'm, I think it's crucial that he plays. And I think, but I think the six shout is such a good one because it, it allows Henderson to be more free. Um, and I think that's when he you get the best out of him. When you think of like the games that uh, when Henderson used to play against Man City or um, or Chelsea uh, games that he scored in, it's where he's getting those. Um, He's getting a lot more space and a lot more freedom because the the game that we're not playing against a low block and where the game's a lot more open. Um, and I think mm. we we do sometimes see the best of, of Henderson when um, in those occasions. Uh, and it would be great. There'll be nothing better than seeing Henderson pop on top in some thirty yards against those idiots. Like, oh, it would, it would be magical. Well, he's um, already been robbed of one against Everton, oh, hasn't he? So I'll you never give him. I'll never, ever, ever get over that game, honestly. <laughs> don't, please don't bring it up. <laughs> the last thing I'd say on the midfield would be you can look at sort of how press-resistant those three are and in what sense they are press-resistant. And, you know, you look at Thiago and he can pretty much do whatever faced with whatever's in front of him, so long as there aren't four players on him at once, as there was in Southampton, and the others do actually sort of distract attention. You've got Henderson, who is just a ball of energy. So it's constantly moving. So it's quite hard to mark in that sense. And then also he's quite good at sort of the overtop balls in behind, if you can get that off. Ginny is very specifically good at retaining the ball under pressure, but you wouldn't necessarily call him press resistant. And so I think keeping the ball is the most important role in the six and well, getting it and then keeping it. Mm. So I think in order to get the best out of him, let alone anyone else, you definitely play him in the six. I'm, so I'm, I'm agreeing with everyone here. Um, one more thing with the midfield that wouldn't shock me. So assume, let's say worst case scenario, we don't have Matip and we, um, Klopp chooses to put Henderson as a centre-back and then we've got one Adam and Thiago in there. I wouldn't be opposed to starting Curtis Jones because I think against Tottenham, he was exceptional. And I don't think Man United were going to set up too dissimilar to how Tottenham did. Sit back for most of the game when you can trust your players on the break to get you that goal. And under those circumstances, the four Curtis Jones was excellent. Yeah, that, that is a shout. I think he's kind That's of been, shout, yeah. yeah, I think he's kind of been um, uh, like forgotten about because of like his recent form and, and what's kind of happened. Everything that goes with the young player. But Chris, did you want to add something? Or? I think the Curtis Jones is just a good one, but I guess a question for all you guys is, he's, do you think he's playing far too much within himself after doing that mistake against West Brom? Uh, so he's playing within this shell, and you saw it kind of in the Villa game where there were so many opportunities for him to bomb a little bit forward and use kind of his, his winger skills in that central midfield Yeah, role. I think, I mean, I joked about it on Twitter the other day saying... Um, like Klopp's Curtis has been clopped, whereas basically <laughs> now he doesn't. Um, when he first kind of broke into the team um, with the injuries and stuff that we had, he was so exciting to watch because 
he wasn't very disciplined if you, if you kind of get what i mean like he he yep. was he wasn't um he hadn't fully discovered his his rule kind of thing so he he was taking loads more risks than we're used to seeing um and it was really refreshing whereas now he's fully integrated into the system he starts playing everything safe again kind of like what henderson stuff does and it's not what you want to see from a young player like that when he was so exciting beforehand so we him getting a bit of confidence back and a bit of um free reign would be would be great to see one thing i'd say on uh well i've got a question for you guys first which is if we do have to play a midfielder in centre back, should it be Henderson or should it be Wijnaldum? Mostly for all of the reasons we were discussing, talking about him and where his strengths lie in the six and stuff like that. I was just wondering what you guys thought. I'd I'd lean with Henderson, given he had the game against Southampton, and also I think Wijnaldum would do a better job sticking with Bruno because if he's in the six rather than Henderson, Wijnaldum. If you tell Wijnaldum, don't go forward, he'll love it. Henderson, mm-hmm. he loves going forward more than Wijnaldum does. So just for that extra 5% discipline as well to be on the safe side. Um, not saying Henderson's not disciplined, but I think Wijnaldum would, would be more suited to carrying out that role um, as the holding midfielder. And I don't know um, what, the statistic, or like what the data is, but I'd trust Henderson turning back to chase a ball um, and get there quicker than Wijnaldum. Um, I think Wijnaldum is better over like a, um, a ten yard square, like that kind of short burst. But if Henderson's in a high line or however high the line's going to be, and has got to make a twenty yard sprint back, I think that would he'd be better suited to that than Wijnaldum. I mean, the, the interesting point when you talk about uh, Mark and Bruno is, and it's kind of just hit me now. I'm I'm not scared of, of Manchester United. I'm I'm scared of Bruno Fernandez. I'm not worried about anything any other player in their team <laughs> other than Bruno Fernandez. So if we can kind of I don't want us to like go out of our game to do this, but if if, if we can kind of do yep. what Southampton did to Thiago to Bruno, um and I think I don't think he would handle it as well as, as Thiago did because he's they're like different players. But if if we can if we can just kind of null that threat and make it known early on, not let them have any space, then I think we'll be fine. Don't, don't you think um, that's a bit harsh because they've got what Rashford, they've got Pogba coming into form yeah, now. Yeah, but, but I, I'm not. Pogani. But I'm not scared of of any of them in the way that I'm scared of of Bruno because I've seen him just. He is that piece to them. You can play if he's not in the team. None of those other players are performing to the standard that they are. Mm. Um, he is controlling everything. Um, so if we take that for out, they won't be as anywhere near as effective. Mm-hmm. Um, famous last words, I guess. But yeah. um, so just... someone's gonna clip this up and be like, you know, <laughs> oh, let's undo it. She's gonna get a hat trick or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> These but that'll be, if he does, that'll all be through Bruno. Like it won't be anything off his own back. I don't think. Yeah. Okay, fair enough. I was just gonna <laughs> circle back, circling back to to Curtis. Then I think. When we're talking about sort of him playing within himself, I think it's important to note that this would be the game, if any, to pull him right out of that and have him playing with Verve again. Because, you know, he's a scouse lad playing against United in a in well, it's not a title decider, but it's certainly deciding who's coming out on top of the table, at least for the weekend. And it's a real statement of intent game, whoever gets the result. I think if you have him in the eight and you have someone holding with the six and someone else distracting. I think 
that will really, really help his game. Because another reason I think why he struggled in some of those games before Christmas was because it was him, Henderson and Wijnaldum. Henderson was in the sixth sort of ticking things over. And the only person who could who had license to go forward was Wijnaldum. And Wijnaldum didn't really. So I think he was playing it safe because he was the one who had to do anything and he didn't want to necessarily be the one to cock up. So I think if you've got someone like Thiago in there in the midfield, that instantly ups Jones's game because it really plays into him because Thiago will find the pass that Curtis is running onto. You know, Thiago will be the option while Curtis is dribbling around. I think it just... Curtis is good when he has to deal with sort of one-on-one situations. Mm. Even in a low block, I think he's quite he's good at that close dribbling, but he needs he always needs an option, like a get-out option that still maintains the pace. And, you know, Wijnaldum doesn't really do that. He's a ball recycler, plain and simple, whereas Thiago will, will definitely be that man. So I actually think, you know, Wijnaldum six... Um, Thiago and Jones would not be the worst thing at all if we have to have Henderson in the, in the, in centre back. Have we oh, seen sorry. them two? Sorry, have this? Have we seen them two play together yet? Thiago and Jones, because I can't recall it. No, no. I'd love they, to see how how did Jones, Jones play Jones second half against Villa. Mm, yes, that would be the that would be the only time I think if that yeah. if they were. Mm, yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm quite interested to see how that as a partnership would work. Um, it would well, be interesting. Is that this is going to be Thiago's home debut as well. Which is oh, God, <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my God. January 2021. <laughs> the first time he's going to be playing for Liverpool at Anfield, which is just just, just crazy. That's um, so I'm just going to go around like to each of you. So we'll, we'll make it like this. So if, if Matip isn't playing, what's your midfield? If Matip is playing, what's your midfield? Chris, do you want to go first? Uh, uh, <laughs> there's Chris and there's Chris. I said Chris. Yeah, it's a bit of a weird one because you kind of don't realistically want Reese Williams playing at centre-back after seeing him get kind of destroyed by Carl and Grant in the West Brom game. So you would be playing Henderson at centre-back. So you'd probably go um, one other in the six, uh, Thiago and Curtis Jones midfield. Uh, and then if Matty Piz fit, which touch board hopefully he is, it would just be a kind of a Ginny in the six, Thiago and Henderson on the right hand side to kind of help cover with Trent as well. Okay, cool. Uh, Ryan? Yeah, I agree. So um, if Matty's not fit, I'd go with Henderson rather than any of the other centre backs. Because um, even if we've got let's say Cavani starting for them. I don't mind Nat Phillips against Cavani, like we said earlier, but the likes of Martial and um, Rashford and even Greenwood, if he was to start, they love getting into that inside channel. And so Nat Phillips would have to go 1v1 against them throughout the game. So that would be a big issue for us. So yeah, I'd go with Henderson as well. Um, and then, so with the absence of Henderson in midfield, yeah, Wijnaldum in the six, Thiago and Jones. And then... Um, if Matip does start, when Adam six, Henderson on the right, because I think Pogba, when Pogba plays, he plays like almost like a left-sided midfielder as well, and I think Henderson will not mind playing up against him for ninety minutes. Um, so that that um, that would help a lot with that regard. And then yeah, um, Thiago on the left-hand side. Uh, are any of you used to doing anything different? Is anyone nobody saying Ox then? Chris? Um, I'm going a bit different, mostly because. 
I, I did agree with you up until you said the point about um, Henderson sort of covering that right-hand channel um, in defence. And I think, actually, that's such an important job that I don't really trust Curtis with it. And I don't. I definitely don't trust Ox with it based off the last game. Nothing against Ox going forward. I just don't think this is the kind of game where he will he will get the best out of himself. I would personally rather see Phillips in there for an aerial body and a physical battle, but then still have the cover in midfield that's willing to track back. Because, you know, if Henderson's in midfield, he will he will be covering Pogba and he will be covering Fernandez and he will be covering Rashford on that side. And he will be able to do all of those things because he's shown it in the past. And then when you factor in Phillips, you know, he's, he's not exactly the most polished player to watch, but he is very good at a last ditch challenge. He is very, very good in the air and he is very physical. And so I think, and also he is a natural centre-back regardless of anything else. You know, that is an important factor. He, positionally, that's very important. And I th- I can't remember whichever game it was that Henderson played centre-back and, oh, it was it was a Southampton game. And you could see him overthinking things. They did a bit of analysis, I think, at, at half-time on the Ings goal. And he pulls Wijnaldum out of position unnecessarily because he's too worried about doing the job. I think everyone is more comfortable if we have Henderson in his natural position and Phillips alongside Fabinho. Because I think that right-hand sort of three of Phillips, Trent and Henderson actually is not badly balanced. Obviously, Phillips is a limited player. But I think in terms of what they're going to have to face... They should be able to cover everything. And I think also, you know, when we're talking about lucky goals and nicking goals, there's no better thing for that than set pieces. And so I think having him in there as a real sort of definitive, it's it's basically his bread and butter as a player is that aerial game. I think having him in there could be absolutely invaluable. So I personally, if Matic wasn't back, would would stick Phillips in there. I mean, uh, the only thing I can kind of think about um, in terms of Phillips, because I do agree with what you're saying, is just, and I don't even know if this this is based off anything, but I can just kind of like see Fernandez fancying a pass in behind him to someone. Like if Rashford running at Phillips and Fernandez playing a ball in behind him, I just kind of think like United might target that, but it might be too late by that point because I know for a fact that they all think, and all United fans think that they're going to build up all the way down the, um, be it down their left and all mm. right because they want to target Trent. Um, they're obsessed with that. Um, so we need to just... Uh, I don't know. There's no right and wrong answer to this, obviously, but yeah. it's just really, really difficult to, to think about. Yeah. I think if might being fit solves everything for me. Yeah. <laughs> um, I but, think the uh, problem is that you're always like... With, if Matip is out, there's just an issue there, like whether Every you like whatever you put it's an issue. Yeah, it just it just it's causes an issue right. that has knock-on effects. You can't put you can't have a solution there. I fancy Phillips for the um for the set pieces, like Chris said. So, I mean, my midfield, I think, regardless, is is probably um Hen- Henderson, Genie, and Thiago. I really fancy it with Genie at the six. Mm. Um, and I think that's the most likely of anything. But then again, like 
that's definitely if Matt Eaves, um back. If he's not, you know, I, I think it, you, it's Milner fifth. Yeah, Milner's fifth. Milner's yeah. Because I could honestly, I would not be surprised to see um, if Henderson starts at centre half, Milner, Genie, and Thiago. I wouldn't mind seeing Milner start. Yeah. If you've got a player, if you've got a Thiago type player or um, like that kind of player that will play forward in the matter of circumstances, um, I'm fine with Milner starting. And, and you know that will get the absolute joy of seeing Milner go through Bruno Fernandez as well because that is an absolutely inevitable if he plays. He will yeah. clatter him. Won't yeah. he? he will <laughs> absolutely eviscerate that man. Um, so uh, that's a shout as well. Um, I think that could happen if Henderson's. Um, Henderson to centre back, and you know I, I like Milner in a big game. He doesn't have to play the entire game, um, but for like the first half, first sixty minutes, it would be a good shout. Maybe then bring Curtis Jones on. Um, yeah. You think playing Milner might might send the wrong message at all? As in, like we're playing at home, we need to attack and stuff. Is it is it, it the case? It's certainly that? safe, um, but I think uh, I don't know if you can send the wrong message after the last three games. Mm. Uh, getting. Uh, getting three points is just absolutely everything. And if if Klopp believes Milner covering a bit more and help, because I think, yeah, you are right with that though. I never thought I never really thought of that. Um, and it does send out a bit of a strange mess. You know, meltdown will happen on Twitter if Milner is in that starting eleven on Sunday. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, it's it's an interesting one. It's definitely like one of the most interesting and intriguing games of the season so far. Yeah, the, I think the Milner shout's not a bad one, but I think. Um, I can't remember what it was, but it was a couple of weeks ago with uh, Milner and Wijnaldum in the same midfield. And we looked at it and we kind of said, that's limited in the way that Henderson and Wijnaldum used to be if they were two out of the three. Mm. It, it's it's energy, but it's not a lot of invention and it's not a lot of forward thrust at all. It's, it's just recycling the ball and work rate. And I think if you play that midfield three, then... Who, whichever one goes in the six, that spare eight spot isn't really doing a lot. Mm. I think mm. if because we saw that with we saw the other day that Ginny in the eight is is limited in terms of invention, and I think Milner can be the same if it were to be swapped. So I think I'd rather see. It's funny if you. I think personally, if we were to play a midfielder at centre back, I would put Wijnaldum in because I think he's a better tackler. He's surprisingly good in the air and mm. positionally he can be a bit more sound and a bit more confident than Henderson and I also think that would maybe solve the Milner problem because you put you just sit Milner in the six and then have Henderson coming up and down but I don't think that will happen because Klopp's had the opportunity to do that sort of thing before and has always chosen Henderson over Wijnaldum so I think I'd still rather see Jones start with with one out of at the six, and then Milner comes on to secure the game because he's very good at that sort of dark art stuff in the last half hour, twenty minutes. I mean, another worry that I kind of have, um, especially because it's United, is that um, playing an unnatural centre half, um, they tend to do unnatural things, and uh, we know with VAR, uh, literally anything unnatural is is the biggest nightmare you could possibly have with the look that like VAR has for us this season. Did you guys uh, see the Klattenberg uh, quotes came out? Oh, absolutely. oh God, yes. Klattenberg it's and... Basically um, confirming that there's, the, the conspiracy was true. Yeah. Basically made Rafa's rant. Yeah, Fergie was a pro. 
Yeah, I mean, him and Mike Lawler's comments as well from, was it late last week, earlier this week as well, is um, just referees hating pretty much on Liverpool for, for uh, in two different articles. I, I tweeted about that, Clattenburg, like, shut up, no one's, ask, no one's asked you. Why, don't come <laughs> out and expose yourself like that. Um, I mean, we, I know, um, it's a bit of a stretch, but Clattenburg's brother is one of my best friends, his stepdad. Um, okay. And you can only imagine the amount of stick that he used to get when decisions wouldn't go teams his way. Not so much, obviously, from because he couldn't referee Newcastle, but uh, from me especially, like he used to get a lot of stick because it's kind of a joke of a referee at times. I think. Oh, so I was just gonna last thing on that sort of Clattenburg point. I think the most bizarre part of all of it wasn't that he admitted it or anything. It was the fact that he then went to say. He said, like, you know, it was definitely there in Fergie's time, but it's but it's decreased since then. He didn't say it's gone away. He didn't say it's yeah. been got rid of completely. You know, it's still there. It's just there's just less of it, um, which all which then inadvertently confirms that the bias is still there anyway. And so in saying there isn't a bias, he's basically come out and said there was a bias and there still is. And, and so it's just a really weird tactic to take. And what he's, the, the annoying thing about it, I found, is that you, like Clattenburg seemed to used to have quite a good relationship with Ferguson, Like besides the fact that it seemed corrupt as anything. like He just seemed to have a good laugh with him. But then he's basically um, like having a go at Klopp for trying to like do similar things as what Fergie mm-hmm. used to do. It's kind of like, well, make your mind up. You can either like be a part of it's it and... To- yeah, it's kind of like he's trying to say you're not as good as Fergie was uh, at these things. It, it's it's just, kind of like just admitting that it used to happen. I want to ask you guys a question and yeah. uh, um, come to you, whoever who wants to kind of answer it in terms of obviously Klopp's made a lot about he's, he's spoken about United in terms of the the penalty decisions. He's he's really put a a kind of microscope on, on it in that sense. And Jose Mourinho spoken about it even. Even Sean Dyke spoke about it before the Burnley game. Do you guys think that that's... Do you think he's smart in talking about that? Will that work in our favour in the game? Or could it potentially backfire? Um, I'm going to open that up if whoever wants to kind of... I think it will backfire. Um, and I don't think it's necessarily Klopp's fault, but I just think referees love making themselves the centre of attention, um, especially in the Premier League. And... Uh, you can almost guarantee that there'll be a lot of talking points from Sunday's game. Um, and it will, there'll, there'll be some decision. And regardless of which way it goes, I don't think Klopp can win in this situation. So if we end up getting a penalty, um, it'll be our Klopp's um, basically put that seed of doubt in the um, the referee's mind and, oh, he's, he's only doing it because Klopp moaned about it. Or if it goes the other way, um, then they'll say, like, oh, cops to blame for bringing it up and, and stuff like that. And, you know, Klopp will, will have, won't be happy about it after the game if it affects the score. Um, and I'm sure he'll be... It'll be... The only thing, the thing that I can't stop thinking about is the fact that we play them again the next week. So, like, the next two <laughs> weeks is, or the next week is going to be insane because if this game be... is, is mad on Sunday... Like the next week, the FA Cup game will be even more mad because it'll still be there from the week before. Yeah, and we're going to live in for two weeks in our heads. Yeah, right. literally. 
Yeah, I was talking about this with my cousin yesterday, actually, and something that um, we're saying is like, it just might be one of those things that Klopp's using to let a lot of managers do to try and deflect attention off their team. Because I don't think, in the media at least, uh, they've made enough of how atrocious our like, record's been in our last few games. Because I think even, I don't know how many get what the stretch of games is, but Burnley have picked up more points and like some other teams. And we're, we're going into the, a game against Man United of possibly no fit centre-back. And I feel like the media haven't blown it out of proportion as much as they can do because they could just be spending the whole build-up to the game Injury crisis, no centre back, terrible run of form. This is Man United's um, time to like get one over Liverpool after the last few years. So, in that regard, it's something that I don't mind Klopp doing because I feel like we could be put under a lot more pressure by the media than we have been recently. I think the, the only reason because of that is because they're so obsessed with bigging up United and Oli and with all the pundits like Neville and Ferdinand and everything. They're so obsessed with that that they've kind of forgotten that there's 19 other teams in the league who are still could any like three of them could still easily win the league other than United. They've basically made their mind up that um, this storyline is going to run the course of the season. Um, and it was interesting to see McAteer today. I think it was on Sky come out and say that he thinks that United are in a bit of a false position um, because kind of everything's gone their way so far and their luck won't last um, forever. And I think that was such a ballsy thing to come out and do in an interview right before we play them. But I kind of loved it at the same time because I think I'm so sick of seeing their rivals milk every single drop of slight success that they have. That isn't even, you couldn't even class as success, really. Um, they're just so over the top of everything that it's nice to see one of our legends come out and kind of do the same and call them out on it. Um so I'm just so excited for this game. I just want, like, Sunday can't come soon enough. Like, yeah. I'm terrified, but I'm so excited. Ryan spoke about the, um, the, the our form recently and how bad it's been and, uh, and you know, talking about how Klopp, potentially all of these comments are to kind of hide away from that factor. And Christian, I wanted to ask you, like, what do you think is the, what's been the issue in, in these games? You know, dropping points to Brighton, West Brom, Fulham, Newcastle, um, obviously losing to Southampton as well. Um, you know, what do you think it is? Is it simply the case that it's the centre back issue, or is there more to it? Uh, a few of them have just been games that we just played shit. Really, first forty five against uh, Brighton, we were we were diabolical. Brought it back a bit in the second half. Fulham, uh, they they outplayed us. I mean, the first twenty five minutes of that game, they were unbelievable. Lookman and Cavallero were just getting in behind every single opportunity. Um, but I mean, the, the, the Christmas games are the most interesting ones, is because you've really seen that kind of domino effect come into play, uh, playing having to play midfielders in defence and the cascade effect that's had on the team. So with no Matip, you've not really had that outlet ball. I mean, one of the most underrated parts of Joel Matip's games is a really good passer of the ball, um, and seeing Nat Phillips play against Newcastle, and you know, good lad, good player. Um, but when he was trying to play at these long balls from the back and they were going about 10 yards over Andy Robertson's head, you're just thinking, it's not happening today, is it? Um, but it's just that cascading effect of not having any build-up play from midfield and then automatically defaulting as well to kind of for trying to funnel it up the wings. The One of the most frustrating things at the Southampton game was spamming crosses and then consistently just trying to get the ball into Robertson and Marnet and then trying to have them do something. 
So the lack of creativity from the middle has just been such a massive, massive problem for me because it's led to a lack of uh, goal-scoring opportunities as well. Do you think that it's almost like, because I think with, with Klopp and, and I think we kind of, like as fans, we, we kind of compare him to other managers and we kind of say that the difference is like with Klopp and Pep is that they rely on their systems, they rely on their way of playing um, rather than individual talent. And so like with, with the goals that Klopp, uh, Klopp team would score, a Pep team would score, you usually know what it would look like. Yeah. Uh, is it the case that for this year, you're kind of looking at, you might just you might just need more individual talent like what Man United are doing at the moment? I think yeah, def- definitely for sure, and it always helps when you've got the uh, when you've got the look of the green. I mean, Man United getting all these penalties and stuff as well. It's just, it's I say it's not unheard of. I mean, we've literally just <laughs> seen it for so many years in the past and stuff. So then, the Man City point is really interesting because I was looking yesterday and their top goal scorer is Phil Foden. Yeah, so I saw that. it's 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 crazy from from that point of view. But they they've corrected their mistake from last season that was shipping far too many goals. Uh, Ruben Diaz has been good for them, so they've been a lot more sturdy at the back, and they've been they've been okay with just scoring one goal and hold on to one goal leads, and see if they can convert into two, and they've they've been really good doing that. We kind of need to get back to that mould, but also at the same time, it wouldn't be a miss to kind of just see us swiftly, and it's been one of our problems for this season as well, swiftly convert one nil leads into two nil leads, especially when mm. we have the momentum in the game too. That's a one. I think- the biggest issue of this season, I think, um, losing Van Dijk so early on and stuff like that is, you know, now that I was never ever thinking last season that we were ever going to lose a game, one nil up, one one, one nil down. Always thought we would win. Um, now from one nil up, I think we could easily not get three points yet every single time we go one nil up, and it's because you just don't have that comfort blanket of having Virgil Van Dijk and um, Joe Gomez just at the back clearing everything and just just that element of of safety it's it's chaos at the back more than i can ever really remember even like back when like if you think of 13 14 um like we were bad but it was like actual mistakes that were causing these problems mm. now it's not even like like I think of, I always think of Colo Toure against West Brom that mistake where he puts his hands on his head and it was like oh that was just a <laughs> horrendous error yeah. Um, but now it doesn't even seem like it's it's errors like that that the people are just cutting through us like butter and, and just getting like goals that they would never ever concede last season, and that's the worrying thing. And the fact that it's not happening at the other end, and Salah's not being as as clinical as he has been, and um, we're not getting as many goals as we're used to seeing. Um, you can really just sort of see how much of a problem it's become. And I would never ever fancy us to hold on to a one nil lead. Are you guys, um, and obviously we're going to speak to Christian a little bit about um, what happened with them. Uh, they were able to speak to um, Christian Folk um, from Build about the centre-back situation. But I want to ask you guys, just in general, are you guys pissed off that we haven't brought a centre-back yet, considering the the absolute like dire situation? Now, fair enough, you got Van Dijk out, you know, then you got his replacement out, then you got his replacement out. Um, how much... How infuriating is it that we we've not signed anyone yet? Like, should it it should have been the case for me? It should have been the case that January first we should have had someone through the door if we're a serious club, um, if you want to win something this season. Um, I think I generally agreed with you, but I'd kind of made my peace with it because I thought 
well, if if they're trying to, you know, make it sustainable and they don't want to take on any debt and therefore can't sign anyone, I may not like it, but I can understand it from a financial point of view. But then it was like two or three days ago, the links came that, uh, is it is the Real Madrid centre-back? Is it Militao? Yeah. yeah, he's available for a two million loan fee and then you could sign him at a later date. As soon as that came out and I thought there's options that good on the table for that little, that that was, I mean, it was a no-brainer in the first place to buy a centre-back. But that kind of offer, you know, for someone with Champions League experience, it, it I just, it seems ridiculous to not do it. But then I also can't blame FSG because I don't know how much of a factor Klopp has been, because granted at other times Klopp has sort of covered for them, but I think at this point he has always been categorically like, we don't need one, we can do this, this will help sort of squad unity, this is just another challenge to overcome. So I I kind of, whoever's fault it is, it is stupid that we have not signed at least one, especially when... You know, Botman was only going to be 20 mil anyway. Or now you've got just amazing potential players on cheapest chip loan deals. Like, uh, it, it, it's, it's annoying me more and more. That said, it's only halfway through the month. I like how you just started that conversation being like, I'm at peace with it. And now, by the end I of was the end of February, like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I went through the whole like, Ryan, what, five stages of grief. <laughs> Yeah, um, it's like I'm sure, like Twitter and things, like like to make it seem as simple as it is. Like I'm sure, if you offered P- um, FSG a centre back on loan for six months on a cheap deal, they're not going to say no, are they? They if if there's a centre back available for what they want, they will they will go out and get. They're not going to tell Klopp, we do not want you to get a centre back. But like Chris was saying, how much of a part Klopp plays into this? Um, it's interesting to like think of the kind of discussions that could be going on right now because a lot of what we're hearing, whether it's just trying to hush the fans up or not, is we're going we're going to be in for a big summer window, and there's two almost like two sides of the coin to that. Is okay, the club are trying to be sensible this summer to make sure they're not in a position where they can't do the business in the summer that they want to do in the summer. So where Klopp might be able to buy a twenty million centre back. 20 million quality centre-back, he might say to FSG, you know what, relax on it, we'll get my 40 million centre-back in the summer. But then at the same time, um, I think a centre-back is going to be the difference between us winning and losing this league because of how unreliable Matip is and Klopp won't rush Virgil van Dijk back because we, we just he's not like that. And if, say... Uh, what we do finish, let's say third, those targets might not be realistic in the summer that we're planning for by not buying a centre back. So I've not got like a strict yes, it's bad, no, it's uh, I mean, no, it's bad, yes, it's good kind of um, thing on this, but I am disappointed that we've not got one because I can't remember a time in the last three years. I think since Allison, I don't think there's been a position where we've needed somebody to come in and put um, get in there for us there and then. That's that's a good, that's a good point. Um, I am not remotely surprised and that's why I haven't I haven't tweeted about it. I haven't really had an opinion on it because I never thought that we would get anyone in. 
Uh, my kind of opinion at the moment about everything that's kind of going on financial wise is that um, I wouldn't be surprised if FSG see this season as a write off, um, which is very hard to kind of take. And and I think they're confident that Klopp will get Champions League football, and that'll be like that's kind of what'll what'll just just happen, and that that'll be the aim. If it if that backfires and we don't get Champions League football, God forbid, then then there'll be problems. But um, I just don't think that I don't think signing players or anything is at the forefront of their mind at the moment. They're probably trying to find ways of what well, we've seen a lot of of. Um, Journalists, they're they're more worried on tying um, players down to new contracts than they are in signing new players at the moment. Um, and with everything going on about how hard it must be to bring someone in from outside of the bubble into the bubble and and all of that, um, I think they like it's obviously just speculation. Might find it just too much hassle. Um, the financial thing, nothing. No one can guarantee any money at the moment. I would say so. Um, I don't think that we will see a centre-back come in this window, which is very frustrating from a fan's point of view. Um, and I'm sure Klopp probably is frustrated as well, but at the same time, he's probably looking at his um, like at the squad and thinking, we've just had no luck in this like mm. situation. And um, sometimes that just happens and you'll just want to deal with it until the end of this season and hopefully move on next season with fans back in the stadiums, fingers crossed. And when that revenue starts generating again, that when we know that the revenue will start generating again, um, then we will. I think had we not gone into this lockdown and stuff again as well, and had we still had fans in, then might, this might have been a different story. But since it went backwards mm. recently, I think that's why we haven't seen like any movement whatsoever. Chris, are you going to put the lads out of their misery and, and give us some good news uh, from... <laughs> from uh... if I... Honestly, if I if I had good news, I'd I'd share it because I was watching Crystal Palace the other week and I was seeing James Tolkien's play football. I'm like, hey, it'd be alright for us, wouldn't he? That's a defender. Um, kind of also the, the the one the one player I always I'm I'm looking to at the moment, and it's it, it's Fabian Shaw at Newcastle because he's not the worst football player. He's also out of contract for them at the end of the season. So if you could sort something out for like five seven million quid. That would um, that 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 that'd be alright for me. But again, it's I think it's more the aspect that they don't want to be saddled down with an asset long term that they can't ship out because uh, he's gonna he's gonna be turning twenty nine uh, in the near future too. So to look at it from that point of view, from from purely asset point of view, it, it makes sense. It's, it's funny you bring up Shah Sh- uh, actually because he'd be like the perfect Lovren replacement because yeah. he too has a bit of a mistake in him. He too can be very consistent when he's got a really good sort of partner alongside him, and he too can inexplicably once every six months score an absolute thunderbolt of a goal. So like <laughs> he's he's almost like if he's willing to take the drop in playing time, he would be a really sort of solid third or fourth choice, fourth probably because you'd hope we'd get someone in because at some point we're going to have to bring someone in for Matip who actually you know can stand on legs that aren't made of quavers. Um, so, yeah, I think uh, Shah is a really... It's a, it's a good name to bring into the conversation, I think. Newcastle fans would snap your hand off for £5 million for, uh, for Fabian Shah. I'll tell you that for a certain <laughs> What, do they think he's shit? Yeah. 
Let me ask you a question, though, guys. Like, do you think it was a mistake in selling Lovren? No. Yeah. Yeah. No. Um, I, I don't think it was. Absolutely not. Think, Could never yeah. have predicted this would happen. Um, you, know what the, be, you know what the funny thing is? I see. I literally see both sides of the coin because the PTSD kicks in when you remember every single mistake he's done. <laughs> but also at the same time, the guy who's kind of replacing him in Shimakas has not really done a lot. So, yeah. yeah. I was like thinking about it, like at the time before the injuries happened. I was actually thinking to myself, you know what? If for some reason two of our centre backs are out and Fabinho has to drop in at centre back, that almost like gives Klopp one less problem with his midfield selection because he knows he's got. Um, Pretty much the same midfield as last season, but Thiago instead of Fabinho. So that wouldn't be too much of a headache for him to choose that side of the game. And then we've got left back cover, which we've needed, I guess, even though it's not really been used. But yeah, when it, I, I did not predict us to be in a situation we are now when I was thinking about that. I'm happy with Even asking the question, I feel, I feel ashamed of myself because I, I'm the biggest lover and hater yeah. ever going kind of thing. I- so. I'm happy with Phillips and um, and Williams <laughs> as the two over over Lovren. Like just alternating between them is fine. Is better than than Lovren in my opinion. But is 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 a guy who can play relatively well here and there, um, who has the odd mistake in him, better than someone that you can target. But well, <laughs> my sorry, my my opinion on it is is that like. Going back to that long-term thinking, we got money for Lovren. Oh, did we? Did we get money for Lovren? Yeah. Yeah, we did. Right. So, so then you think um, we've got Phillips and uh, and Williams now, which are not long-term options, but they're the money that we will now get off for them to what we would have got for them before they've had this run in the team is, I mean, they've probably both doubled in price at least. Um, so you think we've make we're making a lot of money on this. Um, from a financial point of view, it's probably better get selling Lovren and building these two up to then sell on for more money to purchase a, a better centre half. I would. Um, I'm going to go against the grain here. I think we should have done what we did this summer with Lovren next summer, because I don't like regardless of you know Williams being an option, Phillips being an option. Ultimately, he's still a Premier League quality centre back with years of experience and he is a fourth you know adult senior center back and i think it was a a naive decision to sell him thinking we don't need him because we've been fortunate with injuries for a number of years and we've also been fortunate in not getting injuries in that area with some quite injury prone players at once like previously, it's been either Gomez or Matip. It's never really been both, and I think it was naive of us to to think that that suddenly would would just not happen. And I also think, look, don't get me wrong, Lovren is is you know he's no John Terry, he's no Virgil Van Dijk, he's no whatever, but he was very much uh, guided. It is a weird one. He was almost the footballing equivalent of chickpeas where he was shit on his own, but if you put him with something good, suddenly he seemed like a good idea. But um, imagine him being that that guy that we need to rely on, though. Like, he would be the, the Virgil van Dijk of that defence, and it's just... No, he wouldn't. Ter- no, he wouldn't. not say that? No, because Matic would be out for just as often, and it would be him alongside Fabinho, and I think Fabinho is a good enough defender and a good enough marshal, mm. vocally and positionally, 
that he'd keep Lovren in line. And then you've got Lovren, who is great in the air. And you've got him, who is familiar with Premier League styles of play and the pace of the game. I mm. think Lovren is essentially Phillips, but better and more experienced. And we've been talking about how, how good of an option Phillips could be, at, uh, you know, at the weekend. So I think yeah. he's, 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 so, he's so sort of, he takes on the qualities of the players around him. And I think if you put him, even if you put him on the left alongside Robertson, so he's a bit safer, and put Fabinho alongside Trent, I still think that's better than any of the options we currently have, if for no other reason than, you know, he's got actual experience. What would everyone on the, the centre-back issue, um, we're going <clears> to <throat> we're gonna move on to talking about something else, but in, in just in terms of the centre-back issue, I know that you guys uh, at Cop and Frackers, you had um, Christian Falcon um, from Build. Um, do you want to let us know about what the long-term maybe targets are? I know that it's probably not going to be January now. Yeah, I think... Just to kind of double back what we were talking about, just I think they sold Lovren with the mind that they were more than likely going to get another centre back in um, at a younger age profile. But I think they were relying on sales of certain players. So you look at how steadfast they stood with Harry Wilson, for example. They wanted a set price for him. Uh, so they're happy keeping him in the squad. Ultimately, they end up sending him out on loan and they didn't get anyone to come in for him. And I guess the same thing for Origi too. So there was an issue of generating sales there as well. But um, but yeah, no, we had a really good convo with uh with Christian Fork. Uh, there's a snippet of it available on this week's this week's pod, uh, and the the full segment is available uh, over on our Patreon page as well. Um, but yeah, in terms of looking at the longer term targets, um, it very much seems as though Upper Meccano is the person that they're looking for, uh, in terms of centre back. Um, that re- that release clause is forty two million euros. That's around about forty million pound. Uh, you look at the profile of the player; he's he's, he's fantastic, um, and that'd be a, that'd be a really good coup for us too. Because you got, I think, if you're looking at long term, Joel Matip can't be trusted. Uh, I think he'll more likely after this season, if if a decent offer comes in for him, he'll be moved on. Uh, so you're looking at the longer term replacement and a guy like Upamecano for his age more than anything too, and, and you know how much of a player he's developed at at this moment will be a perfect replacement. Um, Christian also said they had a look at Ibrahima Kanate as well, who, um, a serious knee injury aside, for me, he's probably just a little bit below up Makano in terms of levels. Um, he also confirmed that there was some initial discussions around Oz and Quebec, but ultimately Schalke wanted far too much money at the time that we were prepared to prepare to, um, prepare to pay. Um, and obviously those comments, those, those negotiations were confirmed by James Pierce too. Um, that they took place in November. So it's very much eggs in baskets for the summer, really, going after the mm-hmm. one the one major target, which doesn't make it any more any more pleasing and more palatable, but yeah. it just gives you an incentive. It, it gives you more of a an outlook as to see what the longer term is for transfers. Kabaka would be interesting if um, Schalke get relegated, because surely mm-hmm. his price will go down. Yeah. So this, this, this is my thing, because uh, if you offered Schalke, what, 15-20 for him now, Let's say he's got a release clause where he could leave for 10. They're only on three points in the Bundesliga, so it, it makes sense for everyone involved. Um, I, I've looked at him a lot. He's, he, very much reminds, he reminds me a lot of Lovren with a brain. 
Uh, similar kind of players, really, really physical, very good aerial presence as well. And up until the kind of first lockdown in the Bundesliga, he's probably one of their play. He's probably one of the better centre backs in the league. Also, doesn't help that Schalke just ultimately fell off a cliff with um mm. with, with that their entire club. Really, I mean, they're in a massive state of disarray. Yeah, I think it's it's frustrating that it doesn't look like they're going to do any business in January. Do you guys? Think- Think that sorry, Chris. I'm going to come to you anyway. <laughs> so. I was just going to ask a question for you guys because obviously it seems like you know there's there's names that are being bandied around other than those like is it Kunde and as well as another young centre back that people are really looking at. But the main two are obviously those the two partners. Out of those two, which would you prefer? Because obviously Upa Mikado is definitely the one who's got the most uh, sort of. He's, he's, he's the name out of the two, mm-hmm. but it seems like he does have some some limits, certainly in terms of his aerial game, because he's not an overly tall centre-back. He's a very good ball player. He strikes me, I personally would go for Kanate, who's taller and stronger, but seems to have a lot of the same strengths, because Upa Meccano kind of seems to me like we'd be just buying another Joe Gomez, when what we need is someone to complement Joe Gomez going forward. Bearing in mind they're both either a year below or two years below Gomez's age, so that's that's the pairing for the next decade. But once once Van Dijk moves on, it, I just wondered which be, one of the two. It could also be that they're looking at Gomez because of Gomez is. I, I know he doesn't have a a typical injury record, but he he for some reason is out one way or another. Um, I know it's not like muscle injuries or anything like that. A lot of the time it's impact, which is kind of in, unlucky, but. It could be the case that it's, they're looking for a Gomez replacement because, but obviously with Van Dijk's age, I kind of understand what you mean by that, um, especially if it's a young defender. Yeah, I don't think we're going to replace Gomez because I think ultimately he's got the he's got so many qualities, and yeah. I think you're right. It's not like Matip, like he's injury prone, but he's almost like if he gets hit, he's out for longer as opposed to him constantly getting hit. He's yeah. just had some really bad luck with some freak injuries. He doesn't seem to pick up lots of little ones. So I don't think that will be as much of an issue. Like, he won't go for the same reason that Matip is going. I think so we'd I think... struggle... Sorry. No, go on. I think we'd struggle to sell Joe Gomez as well on the pure fact that how much money would we want from him because we know how cold he is. He would just end up going for, like, 60 million to City. And then, the like, that's the only place where he would end up going. and Or maybe not City after everything that happened with Sterling, but... But someone like that, like it would have to be a big move. It, you wouldn't just go to like a small, smaller Premier League club because he's he's that quality. And I don't think they would be able to pay the price for him because of how much we value him at. So it's a weird one with Gomez. He's in a bit of a like no man's land. With he keeps getting injured, not really his fault. Um, but we couldn't really sell him on either because no one would pay a big price for him. Yeah, let's be fair as well. In a world where Harry Maguire goes for eighty million, Joe Gomez is at least a hundred. Yeah, and well, exactly. He's yeah. already and he's already at the top club in this country, or certainly one of the top three clubs who could afford him. And you know, we wouldn't let him go to either of the other two. So then it, you're looking at what would he get a Bayern or something, or would Madrid come for, come in for him? Barca are in dire financial straits as well, so they wouldn't. Yeah. I just think. I don't see a, a route in which Joe Gomez doesn't become our talisman going forward, if for no other reason than he's been sort of sat learning at the feet of Van Dyke for a couple of seasons now, and he's clearly improved by quite a, an amount since then. I think 
he's he's who we build around the defence once Van Dijk goes, and then I think it's about finding someone to compliment him. That said, just to be clear, I would absolutely snap a hand off for uh, Upamecano in the summer. I think he's a great centre-back. I just think so maybe in terms of the aerial presence, you know, Joe Gomez still hasn't scored a senior goal. So in terms of giving that threat at the other end, as well as that aerial sort of solidity, I think maybe a different, a slightly different kind of centre-back could be the answer. Okay, cool. Um, before we move on to the question and answers, uh, I'm just going to go around everybody to get your score predictions for the game uh, and your goal scorers as well. Uh, who wants to go first? Ryan, I'm going 1-0 to us. And squeaky bomb time. Eh? Um, yeah, I can see it being an unusual name. I don't know who, but I don't think I'll be one of the front three. I think Some, something, something. I you know, you just get that feeling that something funny is just going to happen. I just get one of those feelings for this game. I like. I go with Robertson one 0 Yeah. Robertson one 0 Okay. R- Robertson. Four two. An absolute Premier League <laughs> classic. <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, um, Salah's getting on the score sheet. Uh, Robertson's getting on the score sheet. Uh, Mane's getting on the score. Firmino's getting. Everyone's getting on the score sheet. I don't care. Anyone <laughs> four own goals. We're beating them four two. <laughs> Chris, um, I'm gonna go three two. Um, I think Maguire's going to get a corner goal or some bullshit for them and then Fernandez will get the obvious penalty but um, I think for us we'll still have some joy Salah I'd quite like to see Thiago get a goal um, but I think Salah and Firmino might, might 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 get a couple I want some cockiness from Salah I want him to score and just pull out like what he did against City just like mm. something proper, like ballsy, like fucking put your balls on the table and just <laughs> come back, like and, oh. probably just pull down his just, shorts just and be pull like... them down and just be like, I'm back, like what? What has everyone been saying? I'm back, like <laughs> Chris, what about you? Um, I like how we're all res- kind of resigned to the inevitable Bruno Fernandez kind of like <laughs> yeah, penalty or something mad happening in the game. But I've just been conditioned to that. Um, I'm gonna go two 0 Liverpool. I think he's gonna be. It's going to be, like Ryan said, it's going to be a weird game of football. Uh, I, I'd like to see Firmino score, and I'd very much like it if Trent scored as well, just because United fans, they're like trying to do the whole wan is a better football player than Trent Alexander-Arnold thing, which absolutely boggles my mind. Um, and it'd just be nice to see him kind of give it the big one. Yeah, yeah, that'd be good. I think with Trent's uh, recent form as well, that'd be really good to say fuck off to them and stuff. Um I think that Bruno is going to take a penalty, but I think Alisson is going to save it. I'm probably the only person that oh, thinks that. Uh, I'd love that. Yeah. You saved Jorginho's uh, penalty earlier, and they, they take some very similar. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That would be uh, magic. That would uh, be magic if that happened. Oh. Just going on to some questions from our followers. Okay. Uh, what will be your opinion on FSG if they don't back clock in terms of a centre-back? That's from at NK8IO. So navigator, I think, and stuff. But yeah, who wants to take that one? I'll go for it. Um, I mean, I know we've we've obviously talked about it. Uh, I, my opinion doesn't change on them because I think it's harsh to do it, to have any say on them due to what's going on financially with COVID and everything like that. 
they obviously know um, a lot better than we do what the finances are like at the club. Of course, we've, we've heard like 100 million loss. Um, I don't know when when people are saying this. I don't know if it means we've lost 100 million worth of revenue or we're making 100 million with, like loss. Um, mm-hmm. I don't the way the tweets are worded both kind of come to mind like different tweets seem to be worded different ways. I presume it's that we're losing the amount of the amount of revenue. Um, but yeah, I, I, you can't, it's really harsh to have a to have a go at them for not making a, a sign now. If we then don't make one next summer, then they'll probably be a bit like, well, what's going on? Because we still need like the club still exists. We still need a centre half. But um, at the moment, I don't think you can really. You can be annoyed about it, but you can't really blame them for it. Cool. Anybody else want to add on to that? Or should we move on to the next one? I think I think Robson hit the hit the nail on the head there. It's a bit of a, a bit of a weird stick to beat them with, considering you know we're going through a, a massive pandemic, and it's just <laughs> I think that's the one thing we keep forgetting that you know everything's just a little bit shit. So yeah, and it also doesn't help that it's United something. That, yeah, yeah, it doesn't help the United <laughs> top. We're all stuck inside. And it just feels like a, a new centre back coming to the club would just give us a little bit of lift up. Um, but it's also interesting as well. I had this conversation with some of the Coffin guys yesterday. Like all the teams are trying to fight relegation, they're not buying players either. And this is the time where everyone will try and kind of do some form of movement. I mean, you look at West Ham; they've just sold Haller, um, and they've not got another another striker lined up. So it's just it's just interesting everyone's uh, everyone's moves really. Yeah, it's definitely not as simple as Klopp wants a, a centre back and FSG is saying no, you can't have one. There's a lot more to it that the club do well with not making everything known to us. So it doesn't make the club look as bad a position that they might be in. But yeah, I'm sure they don't. They know what they're doing. Yeah, I think the point about COVID nineteen is is important because it's it's affected everyone and and these kind of things. Um, it is a bit difficult, like what Chris said. Like we're all in lockdown and. And we're kind of all frustrated by the centre-back situation. And, you know, Liverpool ain't going to do that just because, just to make us feel better kind of thing. There's a lot lot kind of to it uh, in that sense. But um, this one's from Ozeir. When Jota eventually comes back, does he come straight back in a 4-3-3 or 4-2-3-1? Or do we stick with the usual front three and keep him as a good option off the bench? Um, you can't forgotten about Jota. Like, the yeah. guy's... The guy flipping lit up the whole league like this amazing like I think it's the best um, he had the best start out of the front three in terms of you know it's better than Salah in terms of goal scoring and stuff like that and in terms better of than Salah's breakout season yeah, yeah. exactly um, what do you guys think like do you guys think that um, yeah. I think the problem we have is well no it's not a problem I think I think. The thing that will happen is the same thing that happened when he actually got into the team the last time, which is regardless of whether he plays or he doesn't, everyone pulls their finger out because, you know, it almost feels like they've slipped back into that end of season sort of malaise that they had where none of the front three are really firing. But then the second he came in and started, you know, doing bits, they were like, oh, shit, I've actually got to do stuff or I might not play. And now that he's not there and... Klopp doesn't, for whatever reason, Klopp clearly doesn't seem to trust Shakiri. They've almost become a bit comfortable again. And I think regardless of whether he plays or he doesn't, instantly that there's that jolt there. I think I'd still keep him as a as a sub-option at first, mostly because 
I think if he play if he comes on at sixty minutes in any of the last three games, we get more points out of all of them. Because let's be fair, we weren't playing, you know, vintage football when he was scoring those winners, but he was the mm. differential coming on against tired legs and just absolutely running the show. And I think depth off the bench is just so so important, especially at this level. And I think given the way we're playing and the way we're sort of having deep coming against deep blocks constantly because you know we're people are swinging at the king whenever they play us i think having him to come on against tired legs is just invaluable so i don't think he comes straight back into the front three i think same as last time he gets the opportunity to work his way into the front three and to really you know get on their heels all right cool Thank you, guys. Uh, that's a wrap. I know it's been a bit of a long one, especially for a preview show. Uh, yeah, but thank you, everybody, for, for coming on, especially uh, Chris from Kapan Frekas. Uh, make sure you do check them out. Um, and uh, we'll catch you guys later. I guess it's a, it's a massive one on, on Sunday. It's, uh, it's going to be crazy. But one thing that we want to leave you with is to remember that this Liverpool team went to three finals. They went down to 3-0 from 3-0 down against Barca and won the Champions League. They made 20, 97 points, 99 points, won the league. And remember that this Ali team, they needed one point from two games in the Champions League and now they're in the Europa League. So uh, I'll leave you guys with that one. And, uh, <laughs> ah, lovely. Best ending okay. ever. Love it. <laughs> Cheers, guys. <laughs>